Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Luke 1, 26 through 56. And I am so glad. I just got to say while we turn there, I was talking to Bruno and Carini on the phone the other day, and, and Brian is starting to really use his words, and what a cute little voice, and so we are glad to hear that beautiful little voice today with us. So, um, Luke 1, 26 through 56. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time as 
as we get ready to dive into the Word of God here. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let the meditation of our hearts as a congregation, as we interact with your sacred text, be good. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your help as we ponder things. Uh, Speak to each of us what you want us to say from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time I use the word lucky around certain relatives of mine, they would say, there's no such thing as luck. Christians don't have luck. And I know that. It's providence and it's God. Uh, There's no such thing as a coincidence, but there are all sorts of God incidences. And yet, permit me to say, with with that as our understanding, lucky Luke. Luke, who got to be there, who got to go with Paul during the latter parts of his missionary journeys, who was there in Jerusalem when Paul was in prison, who got to speak and meet uh, with so many people and compile the evidence of the gospel that, that then the Lord had him put into this gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sit down, as we assume and presume that Luke did, with Mary and have a conversation with her as she looked back and she'd had time to think about things and she was there uh, in the incident we see. She was there at the cross where Jesus was crucified. She was there in the, in the upper room and, and to sit and to talk to that wonderful woman in her older age and have her reminisce after she's had time to put it together. In a human sense, we believe that's most likely where Luke got his information. We know that the Bible is not just Luke. We're not depending on Luke's word. We know the Bible is inspired by God, and and it's true. And yet, in the human sense of things, Luke the historian most likely had these conversations, and this is Mary's recollection, Mary's remembrance, the things that she pondered and burned into her heart. And so I can say, in the Christian sense, lucky Luke. What, a, what an interview. I would, love, I would love to have sat there and, and met with her myself. What is it about Mary? Well, Mary was different. I was listening to uh, one of the World Cup games. And I thought, as I was thinking about Mary, this was last week before I got sick and, and, and uh, pushed this sermon off, um, one of the announcers was a, an Englishman who'd spent time in Scotland. It was a famous soccer star who, who just really exceeded all expectations, and he's a, he's a great one. And he said to the woman that he was in the announcing booth with, um, he said, well, when I was in Scotland, he said, I talked to scouts that said this particular player would never, ever be able to play in the Premier League on the world stage. He said, the scouts missed this one. And he was just trying to make a point that we can get surprised by people. We can overlook people. There's a, there's a Christmas, you can be, overlook the babe in the manger. Um, but her reaction was this. Oh, it's too bad you don't have the tapes of that. You could get those guys fired. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> Why would that be the first reaction? I, I, don't, I don't remember who she was, but I don't want to be around someone like that. And I started thinking about, who do you want to be around? Who do you 
what to, uh, who makes your life better when you're with them? While I was laid out sick, I was heard of a baseball um, podcast. These two guys were picking the, their favorite players and, uh, and what seasons. They were doing a draft of, from the 1990s. So one would say, well, I'll take Randy Johnson from the 95 season. And the other one will take so-and-so from this season. I want Mark McGuire from this year and all that. And then they were going to put them all on this computer, and, and the computer was going to generate who did the best draft. Well, what if you were making a draft of all the people you know from the Bible? I don't want to say characters because that almost implies they're not real people. But those human beings that you read in the pages of Scripture, and you were trying to choose a team to work with, a team that you could go forward with and and do things with, Uh, who would you pick from the Bible first and second and third? How would you rank them? Think of the people from the pages of Scripture. And I all, boy, I'm saying now, um, I'm, after after thinking and, and, and processing this, I'm picking Mary. Not because she is the queen of heaven, as some people teach. Not because there was a coronation and she's now got some exalted status in heaven, because the Bible nowhere says that. Not because she is the quote-unquote mother of God, because she's not the mother of God. She was the chosen vessel for baby Jesus when he came into earth. But she is not anywhere equal in status or anything to God. Not because Mary was sinless in her life, because she was not. She needed Jesus to die on the cross for her sins, even though she was the one who was given that great privilege of changing Jesus' diapers and raising him up and hurting when he hurt. I wouldn't choose Mary first on my list because she was also born of a virgin in what some people call the Immaculate Conception. I tell you, I looked up, because I didn't grow up with that teaching. So I'm typing in, I just say, I want to be clear on what is the Immaculate Conception. And so I typed it in, and I looked and it said, in 1972, Franco Harris caught this pass in the AFL championship against, and I said, oh, that's not the Immaculate Conception. I just typed in the Immaculate Reception, as they call it. And I remember watching that game as a kid. It was the first game I was really aware of, along with Oklahoma, Nebraska, on a Thanksgiving day way back when. But um, I wouldn't choose Mary because of a so-called Immaculate Conception, which the Bible does not teach. I would, here's what somebody said. Somebody said this, Mary has been given an extraordinary role in the history of salvation. In response to her special status, and this is a Catholic group that that says this, Catholics give Mary unequaled admiration and respect greater than any other saint. This is a tradition often misunderstood by non-Catholics. Well, they got me right, I don't understand it. The honor we give to Mary is not to be compared to the worship and praise we give only to Almighty God. However, Mary must not be disregarded, they say, as she offers many graces and mercy to all who call upon her intercession. 
I wouldn't choose Mary for those things because in the Bible, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. My second pick would be the woman at the well because she had some spunk and she had some insight and she was good too. What do we, what do, we do with Mary then? Cast her aside? No, look at her. She was there as a, as a, as a, a one favorite of, of God. What is it about Mary? It's not that she was sinless. But there's something about her, something about this story, something about a response that the Scripture gives us, something to think about. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And yet, boy, I would, I would, I would want Mary around. Maybe you've heard this illustration. And different people, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And, and maybe it's been a while since some of you have heard this, and maybe you never have. Um, James Kennedy called it, it was the three sins a day illustration if you're going to share the gospel with people. And he said, pick somebody, pick somebody who uh, you think is, is maybe the best person that you've ever been around. You've seen them inside and out, and they just seem to sin less, they cause less. For one, you never know what's going on in people's hearts. So we've got to put that qualifier in. But boy, I always, some people would say Billy Graham. Some people, I always said my own mom. Well, Kennedy would say, now, imagine, what's the best person among us? What, what, if, what if the best person among us, what, what do you think? How many sins a day? Well, the more we see our, know our thoughts, and if we're honest with ourselves, um, how many times, it's, it's how many times per minute. But he said, what if you found somebody that only sinned 10 times a day? 10 times in thought, 10 times in word, Ten times in not doing what they were supposed to be doing, because the Bible says, for him who knows to do good and, and does not do it, for him it's sin. What if it was ten times a day? He says, what about the most super, super person? Imagine this. It'll, it'll never be. There's never been a person like this. But what if three sins a day? Three sins a day. You go, well, three sins a day, that's pretty good. If you're sinning only three times a day, I want to be your best friend if you will have me. So three sins a day times 365 a year. Let's just round that to 1,000. It's only 1,000 sins a year. Let's say you, you live a, a normal 70-year average lifespan, maybe longer. 1,000 times 70, 70,000 sins. Now, up against the Bible where Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, 70,000 sins in a lifetime seems like nothing to us. That's the people we aspire to be. There'd be a lot less trouble in our life if we didn't have that. Think about that. But think about 70,000. And when I would give this to the teenagers, I'd say, now what if you went to take your driver's test and you only ran 15,000 stop signs and you only, you only hit 20,000 little old ladies crossing the street and, you only, and they'd all laugh. No, if the standard is perfect, Perfect is perfect. Mary seems to have been, by all accounts, one of these good people. Good in quotes. But Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior. 
She needed Jesus. And we don't bow down and worship her. We don't say she's got a special grace. We have an in with her. You're wasting your time. Somebody says, well, it's not really a sin to pray to Mary. It's not really. It's just a waste of time. Well, boy, why do that when you can pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit in you? Um, that, that does nothing. It is a, it's, it's a colossal waste, and it's putting Mary where she's not supposed to be. She would come back and say, stop that. That having been said, there is something wonderful and exemplary about Mary. She was highly favored. It says that over and over again. Not just for her status as a common, ordinary woman, not just for her lineage, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, but there is something going on in her life. I want her on my team. I want to I learn. I, I want to I follow that example that we see here. I want God to do in me uh, and make me, make me more Christ-like. And as Paul would say later on, Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to follow everyone who's following Christ and learn from them and let the Holy Spirit use those examples. So three things about Mary, three points today. Mary and Gabriel, Mary and Elizabeth, Mary and God. Mary and Gabriel, we see the angel appearing to her. He says, Mary, you are a favored one. Uh, let's go back to our first verse. In those days, uh, let's see, no, back to in the sixth, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Look at that part. God sent Gabriel to be the messenger. Gabriel was sent from God. Uh, the word angel, angelos, the word gospel that we talk about, euangelion, uh, the word angel comes from it. The message, we talk about the gospel being good news. Angels are there to bear word from God, and the word from God is good news. He said, Mary, you are a favored one. Verse 28, he said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He says again in verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. That little teenage Jewish girl, what would you have done? An angel appears uh, and talks to you. Your eyes pop open. You say, what's going on here? He said, you will bear a child. And we get to this virgin birth. You're going to have a child. You'll conceive in your womb. You'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, not in a doubting way, uh, the way the text presents it, not even in a way like Zechariah, who gave all these examples of why Elizabeth was too old to have a baby in the earlier part of this text. She just, she knew science more than a lot of today's quote-unquote scientists proclaim science. She asked the scientific question, how will this be because I am a virgin? Good question. She didn't say, this can't be. Don't you know I'm a virgin? She said, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. She asked that, and the Bible points to the virgin birth. The angel answered her, and for 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And oh, by the way, he said, uh, there's another miraculous birth. It's not in the same level of miracle, 
but it's another miraculous birth. Your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age, when she's all past childbearing age, she's pregnant too, by the way. Why the virgin birth? What's necessary about a virgin birth? Critics of the virgin birth, the, the, the doctrine that we teach, for one, they say it's, it goes against science. Can't be. Well, if God created the order of the earth and God does what God does, um, then, 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 then it is scientific because God ordained it and God is the author and, and the creator of all things. They say, well, it doesn't really speak to it except for two places in, in, in Scripture. Matthew talks about it, Luke talks about it, and then there are hints of it, and you can read it into Paul's writings, but these are the only two places. How many places do you need? John came along and, and wrote the gospel and filled in the gaps after the other three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, had been written. He didn't write any corrective on this. They said, well, he didn't mention it. He didn't need to mention it. It was established fact. The people believed it. Born of a virgin is, is part of, of the Bible, and so it's part of the Christian faith. What does the virgin birth point to? Somebody wrote this, and listen to this. The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us must think of hurrying past it. The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of Christmas, and we can't hurry past it. Uh, this, is, this is the first thing that it points to of, of three things. Uh, if you won't believe in the virgin birth, what will you do with water into wine? What will you do with Jesus raising the dead? What will you do with the healing of the blind and lame? What will you do with the feeding of the 5,000? I'm not with, with, uh, with, with theologian Karl Barth all the time. Much of the time, there's areas where I'm not. I love what he wrote here. He said, the act of faith is a legitimate, and I should have checked with our Latin teacher, but I didn't, sacrificium intellectus. Sacrificium intellectus. I don't even know if I pronounced it right. I'm not even going to look to see if I did or not. But he's saying it's legitimate. You've got to do something with your intellect. And believing in the virgin birth and that faith that God gives you is something. He went on to say it leaves only the spiritual understanding. That is the understanding in which God's own work is seen in God's own light. See, God's own work in God's own light. God said, Jesus, born of a virgin. This is also a sign, the second sign of the virgin birth, a sign of God's judgment on human nature. The race needs a redeemer. We know that. We need a redeemer, but the human race cannot produce a redeemer. We can get a populist to run in, in, in one country's election system. We can get a, a benevolent dictator in another. We can get all these things. We can't produce a redeemer for our deepest need, which is our soul and our relation to God. We can't produce one. Got to be a virgin birth. The old theologians talked about what we needed and what Christians have. What you have if you're a Christian is what they call an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of yourself. An alien righteousness requires an alien redeemer, somebody from outside the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, born of a woman. It's God always who provides the ram. God provides the salvation. And God provided Jesus through this 
virgin birth. The other sign that the virgin birth points to is that Jesus Christ is a new beginning. Prior to this, the only people born that were not born by combining a man and a woman were Adam and Eve when God created them. Now, the new Adam, the second Adam, a new beginning, virgin birth. And here comes Jesus, fully God, or you could say perfectly God, fully man, or you could say perfectly man. And Jesus is a sign, and that virgin birth is a sign, and it's critical. Even more than a sign, these two things, the internal logic of the necessity of the virgin birth. Think about the eternal need for a virgin birth. Somebody outside of us won the divine sonship of Christ to the sinlessness of Christ, the divine sonship of Christ. I was this young youth guy. Boy, I love people, and I'd call on people, and some teenagers in our church, uh, their grandpa was in the hospital, and I wanted to go see the grandpa, and his son was named Kevin, and uh, uh, this is down in Pensacola, so it's not, not, not another Kevin that, that we knew from another place that came up here was part of our church, but this is, this is Kevin way back when. And I went and saw his dad in the hospital, spent a good time with him, and, uh, and saw Kevin, the, the dad of the kids in my youth group. I said, I really enjoyed your dad, and I said, you know what? you look a lot like him. And he smiled to himself and said, I do, do I? And, and, I, and I said, yeah, you do. And I found out about a year later that Kevin had been adopted, and that wasn't his dad. And he was so nice and polite to me, he just let it go. And I was, I'm thankful that he did. Um, the biological dad, the one who raised Jesus in the carpenter shop, the one who we could be talking about also but we won't this Advent season, but you can read about him in Matthew, is, is Jesus', Jesus adoptive father, Joseph. But it's important that Jesus is the Son of God unequivocally. Jesus then has divine sonship, and it helps us understand the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, the angel answered her, the whole, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. By the way, Kevin did look a lot like his adopted dad, by the way. just want to say that for the record. Um, second, we move on. Having learned from Gabriel that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant, Mary hurried to meet her. So we move from Mary and Gabriel in the, in the narrative to Mary and Elizabeth. You can picture Mary talking to Luke about going to see her cousin. Why did she go to see Elizabeth? We don't know. We can speculate. Maybe to encourage her. Wow, that Elizabeth, who would have been such a great mom, gets to be a mom now. I want to go see her, and I want to, I, I want to encourage her. And boy, I'm pregnant. She's pregnant. We can you know, eat dill pickles or ice cream or whatever it is together that, that we're craving, and, and we, can, we can have this pregnancy time together. Um, maybe she went to confirm the words of the angel. Okay, the angel said this. I'm going to go make sure it's true. Maybe she went to escape the local gossip. Hey, here's this unwed mother. Here's this one who who was betrothed to Joseph, and she's been messing around, and she's pregnant. I mean, you you read the Matthew account. Joseph was inclined to put her away privately. Maybe 
Maybe it was a combination of all three, but she goes to Elizabeth. And what happens? It says in our text, when she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, you know who else was listening? Little baby John in the womb. And the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she's blessing Mary and exclaiming. And she says to her in verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She goes in. Here's John the Baptist who's going to be the forerunner, who's going to be the one getting Israel ready, getting them in a spirit of repentance, in a heart of repentance. And here he is in his mom's womb. And here's baby Jesus in his mom's womb. And lo and behold, that baby is aware of this baby. And he leaps for joy. They do that in the womb. They, 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 they have... They have things. There's a reason why one of the states used to uh, send out uh, Mozart for babies. All, all in some, some state they spent taxpayer dollars to send every mom a CD that was expecting of Mozart. Well, I hope those people listen to that because Mozart, the mathematical, they said this is going to even help the baby learn in the womb. And, and maybe it does. You know, there, there's something to it. There's something to a baby in the womb hearing the dad's voice in conversation with the mom, and there is a, a, a acceptance by that baby even of the father because that baby, as the years develop, they hear. Paul and I, with our firstborn, went to see a movie. We went to see The Rocketeer. So I know roughly when that came about because I know how old my daughter is. Little Sarah was in the womb. And we're there, Paula's pregnant with Sarah, and somehow in that movie, oh, there became, oh, machine guns and the rocket guys firing and you're the theater experience and it turns out. And that girl who all of her life did not like to be disturbed when she was sleeping uh, had been laying pretty still and that came on and man, she's just kicking and protesting the noise. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have a fun conversation with this girl when she gets born and older and, and, and I tell her, about the movie. We'll see if she likes it any better when she's old enough. Babies in wombs. Think about it. Think about it in today's context. So Mary visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth said, you're blessed. Mary is someone to be admired. This is the word as Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit to say that. And we can say that about Mary too. We can say what a wonderful woman this was. Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. The mother of my Lord. Her Lord, the Lord was in Mary's womb. And here comes the mother. And Elizabeth says, what a privilege, little cousin. What a privilege, Mary, favored of God, to come and visit me. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Listen again. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This isn't the end where I put the application to us, but I want to want to draw your attention to that. I'm going to say, blessed are you 
Blessed are you. Blessed am I if and when. Blessed are you as you believe that there will be a fulfillment of what is spoken to you from the Lord. You are blessed when you believe God's word. You are blessed when you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You're blessed when you believe that Jesus is the one who came to save his people from their sins. How blessed are you when you believe that and repent and put your faith in Christ for your salvation. And having learned, having heard these things, and having been assured, Mary in her safe place from the gossips, in her assurance, having seen that the angels were true about Elizabeth, in her wonder at what was happening and going to happen to her, and this history-changing, life-changing baby who was coming, now turns her attention to God, where attention goes when we are stricken with wonder. We have no other explanation. We look up, and she turned her attention to God. And she gave what, she didn't say, and now um, I'm going to compose the Magnificat. Now, we, we call it that afterwards. All she did was praise God, and the words that came out of her mouth are there in Luke chapter uh, 1, verses 46 and following. And what does she say about God? She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. All this attention on her. Oh, you're great. You're favored of women. Oh, you're wonderful. Oh, Mary, you get to bear the Messiah. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm magnifying the Lord. That's one of the things that makes her wonderful in my eyes. Is that she was deflecting what could have been praise for her and and put the spotlight right back on the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Not even God, my benefactor. God, my Savior. How would she respond to the Mary worshipers of today, she would say, oh, quit looking at me. Oh, I'm going to get out of town. I'm going to go back to Elizabeth's house. So you stop looking at me as someone uh, almost godlike. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Not holy is my name, holy is his name. She stated things that we know to be true about God, that he is holy. Verse 50, that his mercy is for those who fear him, and God is merciful. You fear God, you bow to God, you look to God as your redeemer, you look to God as your savior, and not to any of these other idols that we're tempted to have. And his mercy is for you. This phrase speaks against universal salvation because not everybody fears him. It also speaks against universal annihilation. That you're just dead and you're gone. He's got mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. And all through history and generations, there have been people who have said, I'm looking to God for my salvation. I'm looking to God for my hope. God alone. And wow, what did God do for my salvation? He sent Jesus to be born, to grow up, to be tempted like I am, yet without sin. 
yet to go to that cross and give his life and, and bear the wrath that was due me in his own body on the tree. And generations and generations and generations have said this. And these are look to be bleak times. But until the Lord comes back, there will always be generations and people in every generation who are Christians, truly Christians, who are looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith. It's not a generational thing. It's not a one-hit wonder. Uh, How did Christianity rise to such prominence in the world? Had to be supernatural. There have been a lot of religions and beliefs, systems, and things that have come and gone, a lot of followers. Uh, Christianity has been there. Supernatural protection. God being the one saving his people generation to generation. Mary said something else that we know about God. He is not a great admirer of the proud. What does it say in verse 51? He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary was not virtue signaling. She wasn't angling for some God by her words. She was already highly favored. She was just saying what she knew to be true. And the Holy Spirit having that written in Scripture for us because it's true. She was truly overwhelmed that God would notice and use her, and this made her grateful beyond measure. What's the application this morning? I listed six things, so we'll just list them. One, what we know to be true. God has a plan, and God works his plan. That's God's providence. That's what we know from Scripture. That's Romans 8. That's everything we talked about in our series on on God's sovereignty. Second, God's plan is a good plan. God is good, and God's plan is good. God, by definition, is good. Like We can list all the pain that we've seen, things that go through. We don't understand it all from our little human level, but all things do work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Three, God chooses to use us in his plan. Do you not see that you are no less chosen for the part you are to play than Mary was chosen for the part that she had to play in God's plan? You've been saved. You've been called to something. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created into Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. You've got a role to play as surely as Mary had a role to play. So don't despise the setting to which you are called. Fourth one just builds on that. The blessing involved hardship. The rumors. The conversation with the man to whom she was engaged. What was Joseph going to say? How could he believe her? He knew science too. Takes a man and a woman. See the pressure. Just think of the travel to Bethlehem. We're going to look at that in this kids' Sunday school class uh, of the journey to Bethlehem. Um, uh, the travel as a pregnant woman going down to Bethlehem from, from where she was there in, in Nazareth. 
There's pressure on her. Think of parenting pressure. Think about, I mean, it's, it's when you've been given a child to take care of and to try to do the right thing. Oh, you don't know. I mean, you don't, what do we do? Do we go to the emergency room for this? Do we not? What's going here? What's going there? And just the pressure even of a, of, of a child. But a child that's the redeemer of the world, that's foretold, think of her saying, boy. I mean, I remember my dad saying, one day I will give an answer to God for how I parent you. My dad would say that to us. And that's true. One day, Mary said, I'm going to give an answer to God for how I parented this divine one. And think of the human pressure that you would be under as the mother of Jesus. It wasn't easy. In addition to God having a plan, God's plan being good, God using us in his plan, even the plan involving hardship, an application for our lives with, from this passage would be don't equate your spiritual status or anyone's spiritual status for that matter with material wealth or friendship wealth or uh, health wealth, whatever it is that you've got going. Uh, Mary was a nobody from nowhere. Roll into Nazareth and say, I want to meet Mary the servant girl. There's probably a lot of girls named Mary. Who are you talking about? Obscure to the world, but not obscure to God. And finally, as we move to the Lord's table, we're looking in this sermon series about various people around Jesus. We're going to look a little bit more at John the Baptist next week. Then we're going to look at the shepherds and the angels. Uh, And then we're going to look at Anna and Simeon on New Year's Day. But um, we're looking at all these people. I just wrote this. Look past the people to Jesus himself. Jesus is the centerpiece. All of us, uh, if God's favoring us, get to point people to God, get to do things for God's kingdom, get to be um, uh, helpers, uh, and God chooses to use us. My old pastor used to say God uses a a broken stick to, to accomplish his purposes. And God uses us and all that. Don't look at the people Look at, look at that baby in the manger and what he was born to do and what he did. Born to live a perfect life. Born to die as the only adequate sacrifice, that alien uh, redeemer so that we could have alien righteousness, the only perfect sacrifice. Born to conquer death by rising from the grave, which we celebrate on a church calendar at Easter, but we celebrate it every day of our Christian lives, uh, every day. He rose from the dead, born to ascend into heaven and be at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us, born to send the Holy Spirit uh, to walk with us as he walked physically with his people and born to come back again. And as as Jesus himself said, when that baby grew up and could start talking, saying, um, uh, I go away from you, and if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. And we're looking at Mary this morning. But that's the whole picture. We've got to have the whole picture in our lives as as Christians. Look at Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what was put in your Bible as truth for us. 
we thank you for what was left out. A lot of true things, a lot of interesting stories that really happened, and we would love to, to be able to see all of them. Thank you in your wisdom that in your word you gave us exactly what we need, how we needed it, and we thank you for your Bible that helps us. We thank you for Jesus who was born to save his people from our sins. Thank you for this wonderful message of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.